Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, August the 5th, 2022. First thing in the morning. And the only thing as good as a Monday starting it off with Jimmy Sexton in Dubai would be a Friday starting it off with Jimmy Sexton, who is the CEO of the Esquire Group in Dubai, as we continue our discussion and readings of the great book, Charles Adams, For Good and Evil, The Impact of Taxes on the Course of Civilization. And I really got to say, watching the news coming out of the United States this week, I think the politics is about and only about taxes and the Internal Revenue Code is beyond a shadow of a doubt the vehicle that the Republicans use to fight <coughs> the Democrats and vice versa. And both parties collectively use to fight individual hardworking Americans. Jimmy, welcome. Would you agree with that characterization of it? I absolutely would. And every time I watch all this fighting in the U.S. and elsewhere, I'm just grateful that I live in Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when we when we look at all this, and I think that Lesson 24 from Charles Adams, it's particularly timely today because it says that, and it's almost embarrassing that this has to be taught, that this, that this should be <laughs> By God, here we go with what I would consider to be a self-evident truth. Taxes that are not apportioned among all taxpayers with impartiality and fairness lose all force of moral obligation. Well, John, I have to tell you, I think that this is maybe one of my, if not the favorite, uh, lesson from Charles Adams, because I agree with you, this is a self-evident truth. How can the taxes only be applied to some people and not others? You know, Jimmy, uh, that's what we want to do. Uh, you know, as, as we continue to develop this podcast series, I think that we should write our own for good and evil. Instead of calling them lessons, we're going to call them self-evident truths. Yeah, where we could just call it, isn't that obvious? <laughs> isn't that obvious? Well, here we go. Let, let me read it again, just in case the simplicity of it went over the heads of listeners. Most people are great at understanding anything complex, but by God, the simple eludes them. Taxes that are not apportioned among all taxpayers with impartiality and fairness lose all force of moral obligation. My God, never was so much said in such a short sentence. I mean, that is absolutely correct. I mean, this is, I mean, this, this goes back to, I mean, you and I have, have, have kind of said this in many of the podcasts where we've discussed uh, Charles Adams's lesson lessons. But I mean, I think this is, as you said, a self-evident truth. I mean, listen, if you're going to live in a society then the taxes have to be apportioned equally amongst people. And, you know, if, if there's a 20% tax, then everybody needs to pay it, no matter how rich or how poor. And I think the big problem in the United States and in most other uh, wealthy countries is the fact that they are not for, fair or apportioned, right? They're, they're, the, 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 the lower income people pay nothing at all. And, and all of the burden is placed on the rich people and even they're accused of not paying their own their fair share when they're the only people paying a share. Well, um, well Jimmy, it's not yeah. fair that they have any money left. I think isn't that the point? That is that is the point. I mean, look, as we've discussed many times before, I think in, in, in 2020 on, or 2021, 56% of Americans paid no taxes. 
How is that fair and impartial? You know, you you know that Jimmy, I can always count on you for the most profound insights. <laughs> I mean, like I know. just I just find it ridiculous. Well, well, it is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, um, maybe, maybe we should uh, get into the T-shirt business, uh, and we'll sell T-shirts that say, "I'm one of the fools who pays U.S. income tax." Yeah, with 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 fool in capital letters. Well, I mean, fool in the sense of, of uh, you know, it's, it's just the way the maybe, crumbles. Maybe, right? maybe it's, it's maybe, it's, maybe not a fool. Maybe a sucker. Well, it's not. It's not a question of, of compliance with the law. It's the issue of, of what the laws are, right? You know. Yeah, for sure. Operate. You know, or how about a T-shirt? I was unfairly targeted. I have to pay yep. tax. No, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, I really, I really feel that if, for example, if you know what, if you don't pay taxes, you don't get a vote. If you're going to skew it like this then those 56% of people that don't pay taxes, they don't get to vote because they shouldn't have a say in anything because they're not paying for it. They're freeloaders. Well, you know, Jimmy, the, the reality is that the way the evolution of democracies work is that it usually starts out the way you're describing. You know, if you don't pay, you don't vote. But sooner or later, more people vote for a living than work for and, a living. And, you know, I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you something interesting that I've started doing over the last few months, last maybe six months, well, maybe more, maybe more than about a year. And it's pretty brazen because normally they say you shouldn't talk politics with people. But I'm, I'm so offended by what democracy has become, what an utter joke it has become, um, where it is definitely not a government of the people anywhere anymore. It is all a government of the representatives. Um, and so I've started asking people, even people I don't know that well, you know, if you're out talking and getting into discussions, what they think of democracy. So, so you mean, for example, you would get on a plane and turn to your person seating? No, maybe. All right. Maybe, maybe, what do you think about democracy? Maybe not that, you know, let's say with acquaintances. I mean, maybe and let's not even call them friends, but acquaintances at parties and dinners and stuff like this. And every single person that I talk to, thinks democracy is just broken. And almost every single one of them thinks that the only form of government that works is a benevolent dictatorship. Um, now, I don't you're know that, a bit like Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada. That, that I'm sure would be his view. But I don't know that that's absolutely correct. But there, there's another group. But... I, I personally, I think direct democracies can work, like in Switzerland. Um, but I think this system of representative democracies is an absolute farce. A I think republic, it starts republic, republic, representative of the public. What republic yeah. means? Well, whatever is going on, it's 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 clearly not working. I mean, it's horrible. It's not working at all. I mean, it's just, it's a bunch of warring factions between political parties. Let me tell you something that uh, that I uh, experienced this week in Canada. And, uh, you know, you're not in Canada, so you can observe, you know, without getting lynched or something. Um, 
So there is, you know, Canada is a Westminster democracy. Uh, you know, you've got these political parties and there are a few of them. One of the longtime parties, the Conservative Party, uh, is having a, um, a, a leadership uh, election or race or whatever. And uh, it's, you know, it's a bit of a farce to be sure. But there are these debates, you know, that are part of the process mm -hmm. where you have, you know, what, three or four people vying for this job. So there was one last week. And uh, at least two, including the front runner, declined to appear and participate in the debate. Now, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what, what is going on here? And then I started thinking, I said, well, isn't this proof that these political parties are there to benefit the parties? They feel no obligation to the general public whatsoever, right? Who would be impacted yep. by this? I mean, how in the world can, you know, somebody with any credibility say, well, you know, uh, I'm running for leader of the conservative party, but, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not going to attend the debate here. And then I, what do you think of this? No, I mean, look, I think that this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, it's kind of like your job, right? Uh, or, or at least the job you're vying for. I, I, I mean, look, I think, the, I think the other, the other issue is, I mean, this is something maybe kind of closely related of the representatives not doing what the people want. You know, when you talk to people in any country in Europe, not a single person I've ever talked to agrees with the Ukraine policy with all, against Russia, you know, with all these sanctions and everything else. Not a single person. And, and the people are wondering, how is the government doing this when, not, when nobody agrees with this? Uh Sorry, can you be a little more specific and textualized? So, how, is, how is who doing what? So, what? No, so so look, the, the, the EU has, has now, as you know, they've levied these incredible sanctions against yeah, yeah. Uh, Russia. They're supplying Ukraine with all of these weapons. Yeah. Um, you know, they're kind of saying like, oh, if we don't stop him in Ukraine, then, you know, he's going to go after all of the former Soviet nations. And so... Uh, and, and now Russia's really, I mean, I mean, Europe's really suffering. I mean, prices have, have gone up. I mean, gas is two euros, more than two euros. I think last time I got gas, it was like two euros, 38 cents per liter. Um, oh, sorry, and, what does that with, compare to? What does that compare to for context? What would it have been a year ago? Like less than half. Yeah, okay. That's, that's the same um, here in Canada. Yeah. You know, energy costs have gone through the roof. And people are really scared of, of, of winter uh, because of, of what, how they're going to heat everything. And so when you talk to people, uh, a lot of people here agree with a lot of, what's the guy's name that you sent me, Meissner? Mearsheimer. Mearsheimer. That, you know, this was all provoked by the United States um, to, to, you know, try to boost its economy to have Europe buy oil and gas and everything from the United States uh, and to boost its economy at the expense of, of Europe's. I mean, this is how most of the people here see it. And, 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 and they think that it's absolutely ridiculous that, for example, that, that, that it's okay for, for Biden to go and do business with, with MBS in Saudi Arabia, but somehow Putin's worse. Um, 
and uh, the, the people are really the people are really suffering, and, and most of them would not like to see see it this way. Most of them would like to stop funneling things to Ukraine. They'd like to make a deal with Russia so they can get oil and kind of get things back to normal. And and that's the general sentiment from the from the public here. And it's amazing that that most people really feel that Europe is being taken advantage of by the United States in this whole situation is kind of being put in a, in a middle ground to, to, you know, really suffer the consequences of all of this more than anybody else. And um, they, they, they don't like it, but, and they feel so powerless and helpless that this is how the population here feels. And the government's doing the complete opposite, which completely against Europe's best interest. Yeah. Well, you know, you raise a, you raise a number of interesting uh, points there. Um, for listeners, uh, Professor Mearsheimer is a University of Chicago, I guess, political science professor. You can find his stuff online. And he's been a, this is not new. I mean, this goes back to, you know, at least 10, 12 years, you know, his position that um, NATO generally and the United States in particular uh, has generated the, the friction uh, with Russia that's ultimately led to uh, this invasion. And, you know, to explain why, uh, I mean, let's just imagine that, uh, uh, let's imagine that Canada uh, made a military alliance with China. Uh, I mean, do you seriously think the United States would sort of sit there and say, well, you know, Canada's a sovereign country. Precisely. We have a military alliance. Exactly. We're, we're just going to sit here and, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously ridiculous. Okay. And, yep. you know, where Mearsheimer really deserves to be heard and subjected to critical analysis and not just ridicule is on that particular point. I mean, you know, what he's saying is that not all parts of the world are the same. You know, there's some, yep. that, uh, you know, are strategically vital to some countries and some not. Right. So, you know, I think that's interesting. The second thing though, is that you're absolutely right. I mean, the whole notion of democratic politics and these political parties has really been a gradual process of where the individuals who vote and whose interests are supposed to be representative have absolutely no say in the political process. I mean, that's what it really means now. Right. And, and I think that, that bringing this back to the to the point of of this this podcast is how in the hell can you have a tax code that's fairly administered when the public has absolutely no say or let's say not even influence in how the tax code gets written to ensure that it does apply equally to everybody. Because if you live in a society and get the benefits of, of what that society has to offer, you should have to pay for it. You know, you, you, would, you would think that would be true, but a lot of people feel that they shouldn't have to pay for it. Yeah, and, and, and this, and, and, and what's interesting is that these are the people that are somehow uh, given the biggest voice. The ones that oh. have nothing, the ones who pay nothing have the biggest voice. Well, that's because, as I say, sooner or later, more people vote for a living than work for a living. And, and uh, you know, the, the, I mean, you can see this going on. I mean, as I look at the, you know, the last few years, well, forever, since the beginning of time, 
all politics is now about who gets screwed by the tax code. That's sure. all it is in the United States. You know, and the, and, you know, and not just in the United States, in a lot of countries. Canada too. Canada too. Canada. Oh, most of you, most, I mean, in most of Europe as well. Maybe not quite as dramatic as in the U.S. and Canada, but I mean, there's, there's, uh, I mean, it, it gets worse and worse on, on on the wealthy in Europe as well. I mean, a lot, you see a lot of the politics is about taxes. Don't you think that tax reform and simplicity is necessary to actually return individuals to having a role in the democratic process? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you know what? I think we'd get better results on a lot of things, even even outside of tax, if everybody was paying tax because they'd be much more engaged in the political process. Um on all matters, right? I mean, they're really going to think about b- before they authorize some huge spending bill on something because they're going to wonder how it's going to affect their taxes. You know, we look at again at the, at the lesson today, tax that are not apportioned among all taxpayers. So as of yesterday, uh, this new Democratic bill that's going in this Inflation Reduction Act, what it's done is it retains the carried interest exemption, which I don't understand very well. But what I do understand that it's a carved out benefit for certain wealthy hedge fund managers, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's basic. It's ba- you know, basically it's a way where you can get a, a part of a fund where it's basically a way where you can get capital gains treatment on something that otherwise would have been ordinary income. Okay. So it's, it's a clear benefit for, you know, a certain group and a certain specific set of circumstances that's certainly not available to just because of personal financial circumstances, not available to a lot of other people. Um, So, would it be fair to say that they're trying to put this bill through together and it's a massive tax increase? Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't do anything, and it doesn't do anything to inflation, right? I mean, every, any, every analysis of this bill that I've read so far says does nothing for inflation. So, Jimmy, can I ask you a question? You know, a five-year-old at this point in the conversation might ask, so, so Jimmy, why is it called the Inflation Reduction Act? Yeah, uh, propaganda, lies. Okay. I mean, listen, <laughs> if this, hold on, hold on. If this were a public company advertising, they would get in trouble for false advertising. This would be illegal. This is like calling a weight loss program a weight loss program that really all it does is make you fatter. Right. I mean, this is this is false advertising. It's an Orwellian the government somehow, lie. It's, okay. it's an Orwellian lie, like so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe what we should next do is a podcast series on Orwell, 1984. Oh, that would be interesting. So anyway, clearly we have, though. It's so, so clear that with this thing that they're going to try to ram through this weekend, before anybody has a chance to understand it, of course. It clearly violates the principle of not being a portion among all taxpayers. Agreed? Oh, this is 100%. 
It's certainly not impartial. And therefore, it would lose all force of moral obligation, all force of yeah. moral obligation. Well, you know, I can just, I fully understand the disgust. But again, for the first time this morning, I, I had the thought that tax reform is needed to restore any meaning of democracy in the world. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So maybe the slogan should be, Reform the tax code, save democracy. Listen, I think that's a, I think that's a great slogan. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really the only way because what we have now is just a, a catastrophe. Well, it, what it is, it's, uh, you know, the goddess of justice with the blindfold. You know, what it is is that now, in Western democracies, because of the weaponization of the tax code. The goddess of justice no longer has the blindfold on, but has it off and is basically winking, mm -hmm. you know, at the winners and the losers. Now, the other thing, though, in this bill that is so interesting, and I think by far the most significant part of it is this huge increase in the IRS budget. All right. Mm -hmm. which you know, I see as the weaponization of the IRS. Would you agree? For sure. Well, look, I think the IRS has already been weaponized. The problem is that they just don't have the funding to really make it effective. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're breaking. Yeah, no. back oh. up. You, you said the IRS has already been weaponized, but what? No, I said, I said look, the, the IRS for all intents has already been weaponized. They just don't have the funding to really make it an effective weapon. Um, so I think with this with this bigger budget, they're going to give the IRS the ability to to really become effective at at uh, ensuring compliance. And so ensuring compliance with a tax code that is so hopelessly complex that nobody can understand what's even required of them. Well, that's, you know, I, I probably haven't shared this with you, but I used to, I, I used to, I mean, probably 10 years ago, I used to tell clients, uh, maybe even longer ago, but anyway, I used to tell clients this. I, I think the U.S. government views all citizens as walking savings accounts because every single, almost every single U.S. taxpayer uh, because of the complexity of the U.S. tax code, even though that they've made a good faith effort to comply, is probably unable to fully comply because of the complexity. Which means that any audit that takes place, if they dig deep enough, will probably result in some sort of violation. And the IRS just automatically assesses penalties as if you intentionally broke the tax code, which most taxpayers don't they really try to comply so i think with a bigger budget you know they just got to pick a taxpayer dig deep and cha-ching yeah you know i think about this in the context partly of americans abroad and i really i think that this is going to definitely incentivize people to renounce citizenship I mean, oh. 
it's an impossible situation for them already. Well, I think I think it depends on where the IRS decides to focus on first, right? I mean, I think if they start focusing on Americans abroad and it becomes well known in American abroad circles that you know the audit rates on on Americans abroad is is up and and people are you know getting screwed then yes i think it will result in in additional uh expatriations but i think just the the passing of this thing is probably not going to result in in additional expatriations at least that's my my view so as i understand it what it is is just a you know we're going to increase funding to the irs with no conditions on how it's to be used etc right so it, yep. it really is i think a an effective delegation or, or an enhanced reinforcement of delegation yep. uh to the irs with no with no real constraints on it right that's true and 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 i, and I think and I, and I think the problem with that is is i don't know how much you've had to to deal with the irs um, I'm not a tax preparer, so I, I don't. But, uh, you know, the type of people that work, the type of person that becomes an IRS agent uh, is is really, uh, this is going to be a pretty harsh, but uh, they, they lack a certain humanity to them uh, that should not be allowed in the public sector. I mean, these are really vicious, mean people that have no compassion or empathy for their fellow citizens. I mean, they're a very special kind of uh, person that becomes a uh, an, an IRS agent, and they really have a very corrupt culture, and they really have a culture that is, um, you know, I've I've known some retired IRS agents, and they really have a culture like, oh, you got to hear what I was able to do to this taxpayer, what I did to this taxpayer. Oh, you should have seen this guy squirm or this and that. I mean, to them, it's really a, a, a game of how, you know, how badly they could screw a taxpayer. And this this isn't right, you know. I mean, there, there, there should be part of this budget allocated to making these person, people that work for the IRS, you know, human and, and follow the law and respect people's rights and stuff like that, because that's definitely not in the in the IRS's culture at the moment. Well, Jimmy, part of the problem is that there is no tradition uh, or I think even existence really of taxpayer rights and yep. the United States. And this is fascinating. The uh, uh, Nina Olson, the, uh, you know, former, uh, what, what is her, tax advocate or whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Retired, and she set up this organization called uh, Center for Taxpayer Rights, or something. And she she was a, she was a good one. I liked her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think yeah. that uh, I think that she was certainly objective and reasonable. Um, she ran a conference on just that taxpayers' rights, uh, and it actually started with, you know, a clear statement from her saying that there really was no tradition or no meaningful tradition. No. None at all. Taxpayer rights in the United States. So, and and the reason this is important is that, you know, I've come to see that the Internal Revenue Code, honestly, is only peripherally about raising revenue. 
it's you know about collecting information, but it's also establishing the parameters for retirement planning and all kinds of things like that. And because these, it affects interests that are so vital. I almost think that without taxpayer rights, you can't have a meaningful standard of human rights anywhere. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with that, right? I mean, look, in most countries, I mean, even in Europe where you have very developed tax systems, you know, not every single decision that you make in your life somehow has a tax impact, right? Whereas like you said, with retirement planning, with everything else, I mean, basically as an American, every single thing you do in your financial life uh, has a tax impact that needs to be analyzed. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten so bad that I think that instead of the reciting the Pledge of Allegiance in schools, I think that they should probably start by reading a section of the Internal Revenue Code. What do you think? Well, I mean, look, I think I think at the at the current rate, what they just should say is, I shall pay my taxes, right? I, pl- I, I pledge to pay my taxes in accordance with the tax code. Even if I don't understand it. Yes. I think the IRS commissioner is God. Yes. I pledge allegiance to the commissioner I of the IRS and to the institution for which he stands. Yeah. It's 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 really sad, isn't it? So sad. It certainly is. Anyway, um probably should wrap it up for today. Great discussion as always. But again, the lesson, or as I think we're learning, the self-evident truth. Taxes that are not apportioned among all taxpayers with impartiality and fairness lose all force of moral obligation. And, you know, and that has led me to the insight that, uh, you know, basically the only way to save the democratic process is to reform taxation in Western democracy. Absolutely. Yep. Great discussion. Where would people get some more of that Sexton wisdom? Esquiregroup.com or send us an email at info at Esquiregroup.com. Excellent. Okay, thanks so much, Jimmy. We'll catch up again soon. See you next week.